You are listening to a sermon from Gateway Foursquare Church in Campbell River, BC. We are so glad that you joined us today and trust that the Lord will speak a word directly to you as you listen. To learn more about Gateway, find out what's happening, or to give a gift online, check us out at www.gatewayfoursquare.ca. You are welcome to join us in person each week at 9 and 11 a.m. Now get ready. Here is this week's message. We're going to get started today on a brand new series. We're going to be making our way through the book of Romans. All right. And so today we're going to open up Romans chapter one. And I should say that some of the chapters uh, in Romans, we're going to spend more than one week on. And in total, there's 16 chapters in the book of Romans, which means that we're going to be working our way through Romans for quite a while. Now, don't worry if you're getting sick of the book. We're going to take a break some weeks, and we're going to go to other topics of discussion and other areas of the Bible. But I just thought that I should kind of plant that seed just so you know we're going to be in the book of Romans for quite a while. So we're going to start in chapter 1. And if you've got your Bibles with you, great. If you've got your phones with you, you can whip them out too and pull up the Scripture. And if you prefer, we're going to have the Scripture on the screen as well. But before we get reading, let me ask you a question. I want you to think this through. Can you imagine what it would be like to hear about Jesus by word of mouth, to accept him as your Lord and your Savior, to commit to changing your life forever, and after all of that, to have no Bible with which to learn and with which to grow? Because that's sort of the situation that the Roman early church would have been in. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, they had the Old Testament, right? But, but the Old Testament to the Roman early church would have been Hebrew scriptures. It, wouldn't, it felt like it was for them. It was written to, to the Hebrew nation. And the Old Testament is fantastic. It provides tons of insight, right? It, it even has prophecies, the coming of the Messiah, and there's prophecies that are in the Old Testament that are yet to even be fulfilled, right? There is nothing old. There is nothing done with the Old Testament. But to them, it was... Hebrew scriptures. And additionally, the Old Testament didn't really talk about the church, right? And so here they are, new believers. Jesus has done something amazing. Things have changed radically, but there's no teaching for them in regards to what this thing is called church. Nothing was in the Old Testament about the church. And so here were these believers in Rome, and they'd come to Christ, but they lacked guidance, and they lacked teaching. And this is where author Paul sort of comes into the picture. Note they had not yet, not yet, not yet met Paul. Paul had not been to Rome up to this point. It's actually understood that he was in Corinth at the time that he wrote this letter to the early church in Rome. So here are these new believers in Rome who had come to the Lord, but they had nothing to go on in regards to the depth of their salvation and what it really means to walk with Christ. So Paul wrote them this letter to give them understanding. I imagine that he thinks to himself, I'm going to teach them all the things that they don't know. So Paul wrote them this letter considering the Romans' position of understanding. And he was methodical about it. He cared deeply about how he communicated with them. Interestingly, if you zoom out on the book of Romans, you can see that Paul sort of divided the book into two main sections. The first section, chapters 1 through 11, are what we believe, and chapters 12 to 16 are how we should live. 
Now, these first 11 chapters are absolutely masterful from the standpoint of this detailed, systemic approach that Paul gives to Christianity. It's really amazing. And he goes into great detail, and and we're going to do our best through the next weeks and months here as we go through chapter by chapter by chapter to break it down into kind of like bite-sized pieces to make it make sense, okay? We're going to do our best, and we're not going to we're not going to rush through because a lot of this is super important. I think it's going to bless our church tremendously. Let me assure you of something. Let me promise you of something. If you stick with it through this study of the Book of Romans, you will come away with a greater understanding of God, a greater understanding of the salvation uh, that He's offering us, and you'll have a greater understanding of the expectations that God puts on us as believers who are walking out, who are living out our lives in Christ. Now, there are within the context of these two sections, there are five primary themes that the Apostle Paul brings to life. And if you're taking notes this morning, these will be worth writing down. The five major themes of Romans all begin with the letter S, which is convenient. We've got sin, salvation, sanctification, sovereignty, and service. You don't have to memorize them, but if you do, that'd be fantastic too. By the time we get through chapter one, you're gonna know and you're gonna understand the the topic of sin as it relates to the wrath of God that is being poured out on this world and being poured out during the tribulation. That understanding will only grow as we progress through the entire book. We'll also talk about salvation. We're gonna really get into and break down the issues of understanding our salvation If there's any questions you might have in regards to your salvation, how you are saved, and and what that means, we're going to address some of those questions. We're going to answer some of those questions as we go deeper in this book. Then there's sanctification. Sanctification is the process by which you are being made into the image of Christ in an increasing way. For some of you, you just cling to that word because you know that that's what you want for your life. There are many ways in which God can sanctify us to work off those rough edges and to bring us more into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. And through the book of Romans, we'll also come away with a deeper and more passionate understanding and appreciation for God's sovereignty. You see, when you get a hold of God's sovereignty, it will blow your mind. It might wake you up and it will set you free. And as we read together, you'll notice that Paul will emphasize the issue of Service. Actually, when we get to chapter 12, you'll see what I'm talking about. I am so excited to work our way through this book. It is an incredible book. The book of Romans is one of the most systemic presentations of the Christian faith. So we're going to get into it. We're going to read the first seven verses, and then we'll pray. Y'all ready? It goes like this. Paul is speaking. He says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through the prophets and the holy scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Through him, we received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. And you also are among the Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called by his holy people, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this letter. 
to the Roman early church. God, we thank you that this letter has so much for us. God, I pray that as we kind of dive into this letter and we unpack the different teachings that are within it, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would add unto the word of God into our lives. God, that you would use the word of God so that it might come alive for our church, for our families, that we'd learn historically what's taken place and we'd learn presently what you're doing. God, we wanna be in tune with you. Jesus, I pray as some of us this morning desperately have areas of our lives that we need to give to you. God, I pray that we might be able to surrender those things here and now that you begin to start doing something special in our lives as you sanctify us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, I'm gonna get some water. So Paul here is writing to a group of people he's never met before. He's not only gonna share with them in clarity the gospel, he, he wants them to know a little something about himself. So Paul introduces himself in a unique way. You see, in the ancient letters of that day, they would often begin the letter with their name, right? We do the exact opposite. We say, dear so-and-so, at the beginning of the letter, and then we sign our name at the end of the letter, right? Well, they did things a little bit differently because their letters were often delivered in scrolls. And so if you had a scroll and you wanted to know who wrote the letter, you'd have to unroll the whole scroll and then read the name just to roll it all the way back up to start reading it. So it wasn't practical. That's why Paul begins the letter with his name at the top. And he wasn't the only one who began his letter with his name at the top. It wasn't practical otherwise. So he begins by saying his name, Paul. And, th and that's frankly all he has to say in order for them to know who, he, who wrote the letter. But he wants them to know more. He wants them to know more about himself. So he begins to use some rather descriptive phrases to talk about himself. He wants them to know something. So he says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. Now, you may have a different word than servant if you have a different translation to what I'm reading. By the way, I'm reading from the NIV today. You may have an NLT, you may have an ESV, you may have a New King James, maybe you have the Old King James in your lap. Even though you have a different translated word, the original Greek word is the same nonetheless. It's the Greek word doulas. It is a Greek word we translate as servant or slave, or sometimes even as servant-slave. But I'm not sure the word servant or the word slave fully encapsulates what is meant by the word doulas. You see, a doulas was a person who had willingly chosen to be a lifelong servant-slave of their master. Here's how that might come about. You see, under the law of Moses, if you had a Hebrew slave, and by the way, when I say the word slave, be careful to not allow like negative connotations to rise up in your mind about slavery in the past 200 years here in North America. That's not the picture of slavery that was going on in Israel. It was different. Many times, servant slaves were in a position of slavery because of debts that they might have been paying off, right? Uh, and they would sort of work to work off that debt, but the, but the law, meaning the law of Moses, had a section in it that protected slaves of Hebrew origin by saying an individual could only serve as a slave for six years. And in the seventh year, they had to be released from their bondage. So what if, what if a servant wanted to stay with their master? 
Right? What, if, what if they liked working for their master? What if their master loved them and cared for them and treated them with respect and they felt like they were cared for, like they belonged in that place and they wanted to serve as a slave with them in a lifelong position? Well, God had kind of put a contingency in the law for that as well. See, if the servant said, I love my master, my master is so good to me, my master takes care of me. My master is respectable and honorable. They could go to their master and they could say, I wanna serve you for the rest of my life. And then to signify that they had made that decision, their master would take them to the city gate where they would have their ear pierced with an awl. And that would signify that they'd made this decision of their own free will to be a lifelong servant slave of their master, a doulas. So Paul begins this letter by saying, Paul, a doulas of Christ Jesus. What he's saying to them is, I am his. My body, my soul, my spirit for the rest of my life, by my own choice, I am his. Isn't that powerful? What an incredible picture. Paul speaks in a really unique way. He's passionate. And the first thing Paul wants them to know about himself is I'm a servant slave of God. I am his Sometimes when you and I introduce ourselves to other people, we also want them to know something about us. It establishes a sort of understanding as to who we are and the position that we hold in this world. Now remember, Paul is about to teach them. And a teacher usually is coming from a place of authority, right? And, and it's, it's a natural thing in our humanness to sort of advance our authority. We like to ensure that people know that we're worth listening to. That's why we take all of these labels and we add them to the end of our name, maybe doctor or PhD or pastor. It's, it's as if to say, hey, I know what I'm talking about. Listen up. <laughs> I find it fascinating that Paul takes the opposite approach. Paul, a doulas, a lifelong servant slave of Christ. I love him, I've given my whole life to him, and the rest of my life will be lived serving him with all of my heart. And that's the first thing Paul wants them to know about himself. Secondly, he wants it understood that he was called to be an apostle. Now here's where he does advance some aspect of authority. Because apostle is a title that means one sent forth with authority. Paul wants them to know that he hasn't taken this authority on his own. In other words, I didn't choose this position of teacher. I'm an apostle. I've been sent forth. I was called by God to do this work. I didn't pick this job. God picked me. I want you to know that I didn't advance myself. This is something that God has allowed me to do. Thirdly, Paul declares himself to be set apart for the gospel of God. Listen close, I think this is good too. The word set apart here has the connotation of a boundary or a fence line. Many of you have a fence around your property. In fact, probably most of us have a fence of sorts around our property. And that's the connotation of this word, sort of like a zoning. Different areas of land have different zoning allowances, some residential, some commercial, some parks, right? We've got schools, we've got government buildings, etc. The different zones are set apart for their different purposes. And Paul is saying in this section that not only am I a servant slave of Jesus Christ for life, not only was I called by him, but my life is literally zoned for God. My purpose is to serve him. 
It's a good thing to have purpose, isn't it? It can be a terrible thing when we lack purpose. Some of you know what I'm talking about from experience. We can forget our purpose, can't we? We can misunderstand our purpose, misinterpret our purpose, miscommunicate our purpose. And when we do that, when we mess that up, it can be a really terrible thing. It can set us up for a really miserable state. We can even get caught living in the world and then consequently take on the wrong purpose, the wrong purpose being the purpose of our world. You see, if somebody gave you a piece of paper, I want you to think this through, they give you a piece of paper and a pencil and they said, I want you to write down your purpose. It'd be a fun exercise, right? Why are you here? Why are you breathing the air that you breathe, eating the food that you eat? Why? What would you write? Now, people in the world would probably have an answer pretty quickly. And much of that answer would probably point towards happiness. We see it in movies, we see it in books, we see it in television shows or Netflix. You hear it over and over and over again to make themselves happy. What a miserable purpose though. Church, you and I have a purpose that goes far beyond happiness. I don't know about you, but I want my purpose to be a servant of God first and foremost. There's other things, maybe even extensions of that original purpose that matter to me. I wanna be a loving husband. I wanna be a loving father. I want to be a caring pastor. I wanna be a good friend. And those are good things, but I want my first purpose to be a servant of God Almighty. What's your purpose though? And no cheating, you can't say that you don't have a purpose because we all have a purpose. If you need a hint this morning, I would say that it's the opposite of what the world says your purpose is. The world says our purpose for being here is all about you, but in the context of God's economy, our purpose for being here is all about him. It's the complete opposite, which is a wild thought if you think about it. It goes against our very nature. See, I don't naturally like to live for God. Feels good to get that off my chest. <laughs> it doesn't come any easier for me than it does for you. My natural tendency is to live for myself, to look out for me, right? To make me feel comfortable, to make me feel all right. I can be a really selfish person. In fact, when I kind of look at the world, I think that I view myself as one of the most selfish people. And I have to battle with those tendencies on a daily basis where I remind myself that my purpose is not me. It's not to please myself. It's not to live for myself. It's to live for God and to please him. And what's interesting about when we're able to do this, when we're able to serve God and love him with all of our hearts, that's when we actually get happy. That's when joy actually enters our lives. That's when peace and satisfaction begin to be something that's really truly attainable. Otherwise, we're just miserable. We're grabbing for all of the things that we want, all of the things that we think that we need, and, and we're miserable because we're not getting them. Or if we are getting them, they're just not satisfying us in any sort of a lasting way. Paul goes on in verse two. He's talking about the gospel here, and he says, the gospel he promised beforehand through the prophets in the holy scriptures, regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
I want you to notice something very important here. It's in verse three. He says, regarding his son. Can you say those three words with me? Regarding his son. See, the word regarding here means around or to encompass. So surrounding or encircling his son, Jesus Christ. What is Paul saying here? He's saying the gospel is all about Jesus Christ. From every which angle you look at it, the gospel is all about Jesus. He encircles the gospel. He envelops the gospel. It's all about him. But man, do we mess this up. What can happen is we can start talking to people about the Bible, maybe eternal life. Maybe we start talking about God. Have you noticed how quickly in these situations, how we can begin to talk about religion? And can I just say something really quick? Religion never saved anybody. In fact, religion will only drag you down. It will only distract you. What we need to remember when we're talking to people about the gospel is to keep it on topic. And the topic is Jesus. It's all about Jesus. People who don't want to hear anything at all about your religion will often take the time to hear about Jesus. Because much of what they hate and much of what people reject actually has nothing to do with Jesus. It has to do with religion. And they might bring up all kinds of things from the past, right? You Christians through the years, you've done this and you've done that. And this can be really uncomfortable as it feels like rotten tomatoes are being thrown in your direction. But you know what? When, when I'm talking to someone and this happens, I've learned to agree, to apologize if need be, and then to move on to what really matters most. Yeah, that's terrible. Yep, we're guilty of that. Yes, Christians have done some terrible things, me included. Let's talk about Jesus, though. Let's put all that to the side for a minute, and let's just talk about the person of Jesus Christ. Let's talk about what he taught. Let's talk about what the Bible actually says about him. Let's talk about what he did on the cross. Let's talk about his resurrection from the dead. It's interesting. If you can keep it on topic, then you can begin to have some really powerful and wonderful and real conversations with people. When you start to talk about all this religion stuff, it'll bog you down. It will distract you. And the reason is because it's not about that stuff. It's not about religion. It's all about the person of Jesus Christ. Keep it on topic. There are countless examples of people that just picked up the Bible. They started reading. They putting aside what's been shown to them about religion and just got to know Jesus through the word of God who actually came to the Lord simply based upon reading the Bible because Jesus is the center of the gospel. It's all about him. It encircles him. Let's keep reading. Paul goes on to say in verse five, he says, through him we received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. And you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. And to pause for a moment, Paul's preaching to them. You belong to Jesus Christ. So good. He continues, to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to notice something significant. Look at those words in verse five, the obedience that comes through faith or from faith. Those are interesting words. Does that sound like a strange idea to you? 
because it should. <laughs> it should sound like a, a weird idea, and maybe it doesn't if you are a mature Christian and you've walked through this and you've wrestled with this. It should sound like a very weird idea, though. Obedience that comes from faith. Or think about it this way, obedience that is actually predicated on faith. We don't necessarily deal with that on a regular basis. We usually deal with obedience based upon other things. Every parent in this room, past or present, you're familiar with obedience that comes from instruction. As parents, most of us are familiar with the verse in Proverbs 22, verse 6, which says, start your children off on the way they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. We're taught that obedience is predicated upon training, predicated upon instruction, but that's not what Paul's talking about here, is it? Then there's obedience that comes from rules. Most of us have gotten pretty good at following the rules. Most of us, right? <laughs> Our whole culture is based upon rules and laws. You know when you're driving and you see that speed limit on the side of the road? That's not a suggestion. <laughs> if you, it says it, you can go this fast, and if you go any faster, you, you run the risk of getting caught, of getting punished. Obedience predicated upon rules keeping. But that's not what Paul's talking about here either. And then there's obedience that comes through fear and intimidation. What comes to mind for me is some of the dictators of the past hundred years in different corners of our world. A dictator rules with an iron fist. Why do you obey your leader? Because I'm afraid of them. Fear and intimidation. We understand fear and intimidation, but that's not what Paul's talking about here either. What's he talking about? He says that there's an obedience that comes by virtue of faith. Let me ask you a quick question. Do you recognize in your life a difficulty to obey God? I sure hope I'm not the only one. <laughs> I recognize in my heart what feels like a literal gravitational pull away from obedience to God. I recognize it in myself. I'm familiar with what that feels like. In fact, or pardon me, I think that the Apostle Paul did too. In fact, he writes about it later in this letter to the Romans. It happens to us as Christians. We come to Christ. We accept the salvation that's been made available to us. And then we start walking out our life in him. And then we realize, I'm a mess up. I am making so many mistakes. I can't let like, you know, a fly go by across the room before I've done something stupid, before I've made a terrible, terrible mistake. I am a walking mess. It seems that around every corner that I walk, I make mistake after mistake after mistake. Disobedience is around every corner. So then we ask ourselves, how? Am I going to obey? And so commonly we settle on the wrong answer here. We might think to ourselves, I'll obey because of the rules and the instructions of the Bible. And then we begin religiously looking to follow all of those rules and all of those guidelines so that we can declare ourselves obedient. But that's not right, is it? And then we try to intimidate ourselves by fear. I used to struggle with this big time and, and, and I find it really silly to admit it, but maybe you're like me. Have you ever been in a position where there's such shame for the sin in your lives that you start making like promises towards God? 
You're like, God, I'm not gonna do that anymore. God, I am so done with that sin, never again. Right? And then a few days go by, if it's even a few days. We go, God, it's me again. I messed up again, but I'm never gonna do that again. God, this time's different. This time, no. I'm, I am going to just, you know, will this into existence that I am not gonna do this again. God, this time's for real. And then all of a sudden we're like, God, ugh. I'm angry at myself. I'm frustrated at myself. God, I am not satisfied with this product. I am not satisfied with what's coming out of my life. I'm not gonna do that again. And we try to assert this like strength of character and we're like, I'm going to obey God at all costs. That's not the obedience that Paul's talking about. That's basically taking the flesh and just trying to defeat the flesh all on our own. I challenge you to ask a different question. Instead of asking yourself, how am I going to be obedient? Ask yourself, how am I saved? Most people would get this one right. I'm saved by virtue of grace through faith. In other words, by putting my faith in what Jesus did on the cross, I am saved and I am forgiven. The correct answer. Then, out of that, now, how can I be obedient? And the answer is obedience, which also comes through faith. Church, when we don't understand this, it creates a problem in our lives, as we attempt to live a victorious life, as we attempt to live an obedient life. We know that we are saved by our faith. We believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. But when it comes to obedience and living a life that pleases God day by day, we miss the point that that also comes by faith. Why is it that we're okay with the idea that God would save us from our sin because of our faith, but we can't obey God because of our faith? Which one is more miraculous, our salvation through faith or our obedience through faith? Think that through. Which one is more miraculous, our salvation through faith or our obedience through faith? Both are miraculous. Faith is something special in the heart of a believer and more than one thing that's special. As we continue through the book of Romans, we're gonna continue to unpack this concept continually, which is why we're gonna cheat a little bit here. We're gonna cheat and we're gonna read ahead into chapter six, verses 11 to 12. Don't tell anyone. Paul says in this chapter, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. When he says, count yourselves dead to sin, that word count can be translated believe. Can you say that word with me? Believe. Church, we are to believe that when we came to Jesus, we actually joined with him in his death and that there are benefits to that death. 
The benefit is we have been set free from the power of sinful nature to control our lives and we've been raised to a new life in obedience to God. Say that with me. We have been set free from the power of sinful nature to control our lives and we've been raised to a new life of obedience to God. If you have faith, count yourselves dead to sin, but truly believe it. Believe that when you came to Jesus, your sinful nature was rendered powerless to control you. Now, here's a problem. We overthink it from here on out. We tend to think, and maybe you're thinking right now, wait a minute, there's a problem here. I keep sinning. You're telling me that you want me to believe that I've been set free, but I keep sinning? How does that work? What's up with that? Listen close this morning. When you've put your faith in Jesus and then you are set free from the power and the tyranny of sinful nature, Jesus himself says, he says, so if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. You've been set free from the power of the flesh. So why do you keep going back to it? It's simple, really. Because we want to. Same thing with me. We choose to. I don't have to go back and sin and neither do you, but yet we choose to. It becomes habitual. Some of us have these deep ruts in our lives of habitual sin and we've been doing it for so long and we feel stuck. We feel caught in this net of sorts. Some of you maybe have been living in the world for years and years and years and then you came to the Lord. Perhaps you've got some deep ruts. And you need God's grace and God's power and God's strength. There are a great number of you in this room here today that that have received grace through faith and your lives have been radically transformed, right? You've been forgiven. You've been born again, but there's more. You've been set free, set free from the power and the dominion of sin in your life. And this is the part that people often struggle with. You're now free to sin if you want to. Before you weren't, you sinned because you were a slave to sin. Now, you're no longer a slave to sin, but you can and you will still sin. You're free to go back and sin as much and as terribly as ever, but you're also free to be obedient to God. You are free. Don't let that label slip off of you. If this is, remember, if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. Worship team and prayer team, could you come forward, please? We're gonna wrap up in a second here. You're either all the way free or you're not free at all. This is a wonderful truth from God's word, and we're gonna continue to get into this as we make our way through the book of Romans, I promise. But for right now, for today, I want you to know that obedience, the kind of obedience that we're called to live, is not obedience based on instruction. It's not obedience through rule keeping. It's it's not obedience through fear or intimidation. It's obedience through faith. Say that with me. It's obedience through faith. Church, would you stand with me this morning? Perhaps you're in the room today and you're thinking to yourself, wait a minute. 
I'm not a Christian yet. I've never accepted Jesus into my heart to be my Lord and Savior. I've never asked for the forgiveness of my sins. First, let me just say, you're in the right place. I am so glad that you are here. I wanna personally invite you today to set your life right with Jesus. See this prayer team at the front? We've got a few people just across the stage. They would love to pray with you and join you in making that life-changing decision. But that is not the only reason that our prayer team is at the front today. Who here, by just show of hands, has something in your life going on that is causing you worry, that is causing you anxiety, that is causing you stress? Just by show of hands, if that's you, could you just put a hand up? My hand's up too. Look around for a quick moment and know that there's a bunch more hands that probably should be shooting up too and recognize that you are not alone. We are not alone in our problems. You might be thinking to yourself that this issue is not a big issue, it's not a big thing, but I tell you, it's worth praying for. And my challenge to you is don't be shy. Would you consider being courageous this morning to come to receive prayer. I want to challenge you this morning. Don't wait another day to seek prayer. Perhaps you know that it's finally time that you give your life to Jesus. Perhaps you know that there's an addiction in your life that you need prayer for. Maybe a health concern that you need help with, prayer with. Perhaps you're dealing with mental health and you would like prayer. Maybe you have a close friend or family member that's hurting or that is sick or that is stuck. Church, you'll get used to me referring to this place as a place of family and a place of trust. And that will be part of the culture that we look to continue to build here as Christ's church. If you need prayer this morning, please come forward. Thanks for joining us today. We trust that the Lord has something great in store for you. Do you have a question or a prayer request? Send an email to info at gatewayfoursquare.ca or find us on Facebook at GatewayCR. Don't forget we gather each Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. at 403 Fifth Avenue here in beautiful Campbell River. Have a great day.